turn to Matthew 4. I want to continue this week and the next couple weeks in a series that we're calling Foundations. Uh, If you're wondering where we're headed, we're going to look at, uh, in the next couple weeks, we'll finish this series up and we're going to look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a a letter that uh, I believe will be uh, it's very, very uh, applicable, not that any of the Bible is not applicable, but just to where we are at a, as a church. Timothy was a, a young pastor, pastoring a church that faced many challenges. Um, I'm a young pastor, uh, not that this church internally, we always face challenges, but uh, internally as well. But I think we're doing well and we're growing, but, but externally in the culture that we find ourselves in, a culture that is rapidly uh, running away from the things of the Lord, from, uh, from things that are in line with the Word of God. It is, beginning, it is becoming more and more difficult to stand firm uh, according to the Word of God and to, to hold fast to doctrines that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years the church has stood in solidarity over and now the church is, is waffling. When I say the church, I'm talking about Christians universally. Doctrine that, that has been 100% agreed upon throughout the churches. And today, in order, and my fear is this, that, that we fear man more than we fear God. You can look at 1 Peter 3.15, always being, but set, afire, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for that hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. In verse 14 there, Paul, I mean, Peter quotes Isaiah 8.12. And, in, and, and if, you go, if you were to go to Isaiah 8.12, God is, is, is rebuking His people, Israel, for fearing what the world fears when they had God on their side. They had no reason to fear what the world feared. And, and the reality is we studied that verse to lead into our counterculture series the reality is this, until we fear God more than we fear man, we won't defend God with gentleness and respect. We'll cave in to the culture. We won't defend God. And, and it becomes a matter of, of, of and, and, and again, First Timothy, the things that, that Paul helps Timothy deal with are, are exactly where we are. The role of women, gender, sex, all of those things Paul deals with in 1 Timothy. Passages that, that, that our culture wants nothing to do with. But, but I want us to understand those passages and, and understand the great God behind those passages who, who authored those passages through Paul. And, and 1 Timothy 3.15 says, Paul says, Timothy, I write these things to you that so you will know how to behave in the household of God. That's really the, the heart behind 1 Timothy, is that believers would know how to handle themselves in the household of God. And so we're going to call that series House Rules, and um, you know, hopefully grow up in, 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 our, in our walk and in our obedience. But today we are, we're continuing a series we're calling Foundations, and, and the title today is just simply Follow Me. We looked last week at the point that Salvation does not, it's not just a one-time deal, that we're to grow up. And, and I think we see this here in, in, in really the, the first calling of Jesus' disciples, of his followers. I, I was in a meeting 
the other day with an individual and the getting some things, some paperwork done and getting some stuff taken care of. And the, the individual asked me, they were apologetic that the meeting was taking a little bit longer. And I said, you know, I, I only work on Sundays, so you can take your time. I mean, I got six days until I work next, so take your time. And she says, where are you, go, where are you going next? And I said, yeah, I'm going to meet with a guy uh, that I disciple on uh, uh, every week. We meet together and I, I disciple him. And, and the next thing she said kind of floored me because this is a believer. I know where she goes to church, solid church. She grew up in a Christian home. This person went to Christian schools. This is what she asked me. What does it mean to disciple somebody? Like, I, I, was, I was just kind of taken aback. So I went on to explain to her what discipleship looks like, what, 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 I, what we do with this individual in this meeting, and, and, and this is what she said. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've never once had somebody disciple me. Never once had somebody pour into me and help me understand the Word of God. So when the, when the pastor says to turn to a book, she admitted that she fumbles around. She doesn't know where the books of the Bible are. This is a, this is a person that's grew up her, I say grew up her whole life. She, obviously, you're not born a Christian. She's been a Christian a long time. That's what I'm trying to say. And she admittedly admitted, I have no, no, no grasp on the Word of God. And that's really, I believe that is really the, if you were to, as pastoring for almost five years, there's a lot of people that, that talk about the condition of the church and this and that. And in my opinion, that singularly is the problem that plagues the church more than anything. Is that, that spiritually speaking, and I'm not trying to be offensive here, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but spiritually speaking, us right here, Spiritually speaking, we are, we are what this first room is right here for children. It's a nursery. And, and a whole, this whole wall of rooms right here are, are very, very young children. And when the workers get done working in those rooms, you're in there. You're exhausted. Why? Because they're children. They're babies. They're immature. And, and, and my, my firm conviction is, and I may be wrong, and I hope I, I, I would love to be wrong on this, but I, I feel like immaturity, spiritually speaking, is what plagues the church more than anything. And, and, here, and here, listen, listen just for a moment in 1 Corinthians 3, just for a moment. Paul says, I could not speak to you, brethren, as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. And this is where, listen, listen. this is what he, you, you would think of all the things that Paul would list here to talk, the signs or the evidences of spiritual immaturity. Look what he says. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not still fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? You, you want to know what you don't know what you if you go work in one of those rooms, you know what you're going to describe? There's going to be jealousy and strife in those children's rooms. Anybody in here who has more than one children is going to is going to be they're going to be honest. There's going to be jealousy and strife amongst your children because they're immature. 
And of all the things that Paul, it, it wasn't like, hey, uh, you're a bunch of adulterers. Hey, your stealing is rampant. Hey, you're a bunch of liars. The cre- the, again, they were liars. You can go on and figure that out in Titus. Paul dealt with that. But they're, they're jealousy and strife. And, and immaturity, spiritual immaturity plagues the church. Plagues the church. People who have been Christians for far too long and know far too little and are still, month, in, in the sense of their spiritual growth, they're still toddlers when they ought to be discipling other people. You can go to Hebrews 5 and the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, he, 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 I, be, I have my opinions on who it was, but he says almost the same thing in Hebrews 5. Concerning him, we have much talking about Melchizedek, and it's hard to explain. For since you have become dull of hearing, he says, the reason why I can't explain this to you is because you ever try to teach a child a big truth? You ever try to teach a child a difficult truth? It's hard. And, and that's what he's saying to them. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I, I, I would, I would, my, my fear is that this person's story that, that, that shared that with me would probably be many of your stories. You've been Christians for a long time. And yet, my question would be this, where, do you, where would you, if we were to back ourselves up to a wall like you do with your children, and you measure spiritual height, where would your, or you measure physical height, where would your spiritual height be? How, how old are you spiritually? How, how mature are you spiritually would be a better question. And that's really what I want to I deal with today. I, I, I believe that, that we've, we've that discipleship in many ways has been neglected in the church. We make a very big deal. We throw parades, hallelujahs, for people who share the gospel. And yet we do very little towards discipleship. And, and I have long held this opinion. I'm not trying to be crude. I'm, I'm just trying to, I don't want you to take it that way. But look, everyone loves making a baby. It's raising a baby that's the hard part. Okay? We're real, hey, even as a culture... Jody has a, Jody's job shows you the fact we're real good at making babies. We're terrible at raising babies. Spiritually speaking, are we, are, how are we as a church doing raising babies? John 3 says, no one enters the kingdom of God unless they're born again. The moment you accept Christ, you are an infant. You may be a 35-year-old, but you are an infant. You are in need of discipling. You are in need of training. And, and, and we as a church, I think, is, I say that globally. I'm not just trying to have missed the mark on discipling. Even in our terminology, I feel like we've fallen short. And even what we call ourselves, unknowingly, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say we're doing this purposely, I, unknowingly, I think that we've separated the need for discipleship from Christianity. Uh, almost universally, we refer to ourselves as Christians. Okay, Christians. And, that, and that's biblical. 
I'm not trying to say it's unbiblical to call yourself a Christian. But, 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 but the fact that even when, but when you look at the New Testament, the word disciple is used 269 times. 269 times it speaks of disciple. You know how many times it mentions Christian? About three, maybe, depending on your translation. Here, here's where I'm going at that. Here's where I'm going. A disciple, a disciple, the term disciple speaks to somebody who is in the process of learning, who is in a process of growing, a lifelong thing. The word Christian, here's what we say. Well, I'm a Christian. What, is it? what do I need to do that? I'm a Christian. A Christian is a point action thing. A disciple speaks to a lifelong, even, even the term this, you look, at, you look at the New Testament, the word believer is used more than Christian. You know what that infers? A continual existence, a continuing. It wasn't I believed one time at camp. It wasn't I did this one time and then you, no, no, I am I'm in the perpetual state of believing. I'm in the perpetual state of following. Even in our terminology, we, I think we've, we've gotten to the point where, where we've, we've, I've gotten my fire. We've almost insinuated, I prayed the, I did the thing I needed to do, and now I'm done. There's no need for growth. There's absolutely need for growth. If we're going to advance the mission that God has before us, there's need for growth. The very, the very reality is, if you, we'll go there next week, Matthew 28, 19, he says, all authority has been given to you in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make Christians. That's not what he said. Go therefore and make converts. Not what he said. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching the word of God and baptizing them. Disciples. And the goal is simply, that what I'm trying to say is this, the goal is, is not simply to get somebody saved, but that Christ would be formed in them, that they would be mature, that they would be used. Just like we saw in 2 Peter 2, he says if these, in verse 8 and 9, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the work of the ministry. I, we, we had... What, four babies over to our house last night. It was a lot of fun. But you know what they got accomplished? Nothing. You know what they did? They distracted us from doing anything else. It was 24-7 we were watching four children. Got nothing else done. There's football games on. I couldn't hardly tell you what's going on. Again, immaturity. They needed somebody to watch them 24-7. They needed someone to provide. The, the goal of Christianity is not, again, it's discipleship. I, and I want us to see discipleship and how it happens. I, I want us to give us maybe a more accurate, a, a biblical picture of Christianity today. And I, and I want to do this through the question. I, I want to ask this question. Can you honestly say today that you're following Christ? Following. And, and that's where our text today, Matthew 4 Starting in, we'll start in verse 18, the first disciples. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers 
of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, the father, their father, mending the nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. The, the question I want us to ask ourselves again is not only am I following, can, can you honestly say to yourself today that you are being formed into the image of Christ? Maybe compared to a year ago, is the line on the wall different? If we were measuring spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, is the line different? Are you growing up, as it says, in respects to your salvation? I want us to help help I want to help us see this today by really asking three questions and they're on your handout. But but here's what I mean. Think about these stats. These are again, I don't live and breathe by stats. Again, surveys can be you can make a survey, say whatever you want to say. The media can obviously we're in a season where the media is very good at making you believe whatever they want to believe. And I'm not I'm not into all that. I spend most of my time, I feel like, on teaching my children how to not believe the commercials and all the stuff that's going on in there so they won't be gullible. But here's what I mean. Think about these stats. Four out of five, a survey of, of America, four out of five Americans would identify themselves as Christians. Four out of five. And yet, and yet, out of those who call themselves Christians, listen to this, less than half of those say they go to church with any regularity. Left, less than half of those would admit to, would agree that the Bible is completely true. This is the same people that said, hey, I go to ch- I'm a Christian. This is how they answer these questions. Less than half said the Bible is true. Less than one quarter of those have a biblical worldview on things, meaning they look at life and they interpret it through the Bible, through the lens of the Bible. Things like a man is a man because the, a man is a man, woman, all everything. That's a big deal today. What is marriage? What is salvation? All these things, you look at it through the lens of being a, of the Bible. E- even more staggering than this, listen to this. This one blew me away. Less than half of those who said they were Christians said that they would say that they were born again. A- as if, like there was a separate elite class of Christians, like, oh, you're a Christian but not born again. Well, I'm a Christian, I'm born again. That, that's incongruent. To, to be a Christian is to be born again. That's John 3. He said to Nicodemus, no one will enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are what? Born again. You can't be a Christian without being born again. A- out of those four out of five people, less than a quarter said that the Bible has any impact on their life and lifestyle. And, and out of them, almost uh, the vast majority said that they would classify themselves as marginally committed to Christ. I mean, based upon those responses, I mean, would you say that those people are following Christ? I, I mean, it, my question is this, are, is this an accurate picture of biblical Christianity? That you can call yourself a Christian and yet it has no impact on your life? Is that, is that who God sent His Son to die for? Is that the people that He's forming? Is that, that His bride that Ephesians 5 says that he will, he will 
cleanse her through the washing of the word so she will be without spot or wrinkle? I think these are important questions. Again, not not necessarily to ask about people outside, though that's true, but to ask people inside this building. My my heart is this. It's not to be, not to not to cause anybody to doubt their salvation, but I am here to cause you to question it and to ask yourself the hard questions so that Satan would not deceive you into thinking that you're someone or something that you're not. Because all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, one of the main ploys of Satan is deception. You see all throughout the Bible, do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do not be deceived, neither, neither homosexual, nor fornicators, nor adulterers, nor liars, nor covetous, nor any of these things will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Galatians 6, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he shall reap. Don't be deceived. My, 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 I, I do not want to pastor a church who, who is full of people who are deceived. And so I want to give us three questions today, three questions to answer regarding following. And we're going to try to get through these quickly to honor your time. I want to give you time to meet with Jody and um, hopefully get involved with her ministry. The first question, and they're all from this text. They're all from Matthew 4, 19 through, through 22, but really Matthew 4, 19. The first question is this. We, we need to realize who is being followed, who is being followed. This question matters greatly. Jesus said, follow me. Not an idea, not not some doctrine, not not just anybody, but follow Christ. It's Christ who is being followed. One specific person in all the world is to be followed to to the neglect of everyone else. Again, just like when you got married, you chose one person out of the whole world to join yourself to, to the what? Ideally, to the neglect of everybody else. There, this is a person we are following. And, and it begs the question, who is this person that's doing the inviting? Who, who is this person? Who is this man that has invited the, not only these guys, but you and I to follow him? Do, do, do you really know the one who invites you to follow him? Do you grasp the greatness of the reality that Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, is inviting you to follow him. And, and if you looked at Matthew 1, for, 1 through 4, you'll see on your handout, Matthew gives us a clear picture of who Jesus is and who it is that is doing the inviting. If you were to look at Matthew 1 1, you'll see these on your handout. Jesus is shown to be the son of David. All of these titles would show the immensity of the one who is calling us to follow him. He is the son of David. Jesus is shown in Matthew 1 1 as well to be the son of Abraham. What he's saying there is is that Jesus Christ has the correct genealogy to be the king. He is Israel's king. You go all the way back, he fits the bill. He has a right claim to the throne. And, And this would have immediately gotten the Jews' attention. Matthew is a book written to a Jewish audience. Matthew is a, was a tax collector. He, he highlights these things because the Jew, his audience, the Jew, this would have been important to him. If you go to Luke, Luke's genealogy is different because it's a different audience. But he still makes the same point. Jesus is shown in Matthew one twenty one to be the Savior of the world. To be the Savior. He's shown in Matthew two two to be the King. 
He's shown in Matthew 2, 4 to be the Messiah. He's shown in Matthew 2, 6 to be the great shepherd. He's shown in Matthew 3, 2 to be the judge. This is, this is him who says, follow me, Savior, King, Messiah, Shepherd, Judge. And that's just the first four chapters of Matthew. This is the one who beckons you, follow me. Who says in Matthew 4, 17, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why could Jesus demand that you repent and that, that, that he would inaugurate his own kingdom and through your repentance, your forgiveness of sin, invite you into his kingdom? Why? Because he's the king of that kingdom. He's the king. He's the savior. He's the judge. He's the shepherd. And the point that Matthew makes and what, what they would have understood in that day was that Jesus is worthy of total commitment, total worship. It would have been an honor to be invited to follow that king. He's the Messiah. To, to not fully follow Jesus would be foolish. To not see Christ who he truly is would, would lead us to wrong conclusions, not only about him, but about our own lives and whether he's worthy of being followed. Christ is worthy to be followed. He's worthy of whatever price it pays to follow, whatever it costs you to follow. It's, he's worthy. This is exactly, this is Isaiah 6 stuff. When, when we realize I was emotional during the songs only because not only the month it is, but the thought that behold, beloved, we have been loved in such a way that we could be called children of God. When, when, I, think about my, when I think about myself and how sinful I am, how, how desperately wicked Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our hearts are, and yet God would crucify His Son, that God would love me and invite me in. And, and again, not just, not just set me free. He didn't just set me free from my sin. He, he brought me in and took ownership of me. Ownership to change me, to conform me to his image. Look, look Isaiah, he says, in the, key, in the year of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And he called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Please, I read this so you'll see the greatness of our, of our God and, and the Son who beckons us to follow Him. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. Then Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Look, this is our King. He's the promised one. He's the, he's the long-awaited Savior of the world that all the saints in the Old Testament look forward to the arrival. And here He is. He's Jesus. A baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. God's plan. You can go all the way back to Isaiah 9-6. You can go all the way back to Isaiah 7. You can go all the way back to Micah 5-2. Prophesied 700 plus years before Bethlehem was even a city. And He said, God says this, I'm going to send my, my promised one. I'm going to put him in a manger. I'm going to give you a child. And God was faithful. And this child, this king, comes and he says this, Follow me. Follow me. 
The, the point in all of this in Matthew is to say this. Jesus is worthy of everything that is required of us or called upon us in following him. He's worthy. That's Matthew's point. That, that really, because of the greatness of who Jesus is, following him is the only reasonable response. That's exactly what Paul said, and we've seen it in Romans 12.1. In view of God's mercy, submit your life to him. That's Romans 12.1 and 2. Look, was their theology perfect? It wasn't. Did they necessarily follow Christ at the time for all the wrong reasons? No. They, they, I think they thought that they were about to be put in a seat of, of leadership and Jesus was going to inaugurate his kingdom right then and there and, and you see the disciples fighting over it. But, but listen to this. They knew who they followed. They, they, were, they, were, they were following Christ and Christ was going to take fishermen and he was gonna, they were going to now fish for another catch. And through following him, through spending time with him, they would learn to imitate him, and his heart would become their heart, and they would see things through his eyes, and they would think like he thought. And one day he would hand these fishermen the keys to the kingdom. Christ formed in them, and he formed that by following. This is Galatians 4.9. This is the reason... Again, beyond just salvation, why we were saved. But now that, now that you have come to know God, or rather be known for God, how is it that you turn back again to weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and weeks and months and all that. He goes on to say this, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, taking infants walking with them that they would be mature, that Christ would be formed in them, that they would be useful to the kingdom. And, and listen, by, by following, just like in being set free, Daniel sang about it, we sang about it this morning, by following, they were not set free to do as they pleased, but they were set free to grow as Jesus had designed and desired. Why? That they could continue His mission. Follow. It's Christ. It's John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know why we, you know why we follow Christ? Because He's the only way we're getting into heaven. He's the only entrance. It's Christ. He's Lord. He's King. He's Savior. He's Messiah. He's not just a God. He is the God. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Follow him. He's worthy. But not only who, but, but Jesus gives the how. How do we follow? That's the me. How is Christ formed in us? It's through following. It's through following. If you were to look at, at, at verses 21 and, and following, they left where they were and they followed. They left things behind that meant something to them. It was a new way of life. It was a new mission. It was a new purpose. There was a new object to fish for. Did they know how it end? They did not know how it end. Did they know it would, what it would cost them? Every single one of these men are going to die badly. Badly. Why? Because they followed the king. And yet here, here's, here's, what, here's what the disciples, they followed in faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.1 says that this is faith, it is the assurance of things hoped for, it is the confidence 
of things not yet seen. If you were to go to Hebrews eleven sixteen, we've seen it before, even on Hebrews eleven thirty nine and following, it says, All these died having not received what was promised, but they saw it from afar, it says. Hebrews eleven sixteen it says that they were looking forward to a better country, and as it was, God was not ashamed to be called their God. They gave up this country for a better country. Faith. And here's the point when you read the, when you read the Bible. If you don't hear anything else, let, make sure you write this one down. It's on your handout. Followers of Christ do not always know all the details about where they are going, but they do know who they're following. And that makes all the difference. That's why discipleship is key. The, the other night we were, we, were, we were walking the dog, and it was 8.45, 9 o'clock, whatever, taking him out for the last time, and all of a sudden we heard this owl, and you could hear him off in the, in the woods, and, and, and then you'd hear an owl over here, and then you'd hear an owl echo over here, and so Bradley started asking me questions, I was like, well, you want to go try to find it? And so, you know, he said, yeah, let's go find it. So we went and got a flashlight, and you know, we're, we're walking through dark woods, and you know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to let Bradley know I'm nervous, but I was nervous. You know, we, we've, we, we've, we, we go back and get Sarah because she's coming to look at this point. And, you know, the point is this. They, it was scary, but guess what? Especially Sarah, they would not, she would not let me get away from her. She was holding my hand. She was tight. I mean, she was right up next to me. Sarah Grace did not know what was the next step, but guess what she did know? She knew her dad was with her. She took every step that I took. Why? Because her dad was with her. She didn't know where we were going. She did, we had no promise of finding the owls. We had no promise of ever going home. Guess what? She did know her dad was with her. She knew who it was that she followed. And that made all the difference. D discipleship, discipleship is that process of us getting to know who it is that we're following. And as we follow, Christ is formed in us. Ephesians 4.11, it says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For the this is why do I do what I do? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Listen to this. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Why? As a result of maturity, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. Here's the thing about kids. Kids will believe anything you tell them. They'll believe anything you tell them. The, the other night, we dropped Bradley off at a, at a little gathering of, of some kids that he doesn't necessarily see a lot because of high school, and we had talked about going over to... We had gone to this pizza place and had dinner, and we had talked about going to Bahama Bucks. Everybody says it's great. We're going to go there and grab a, a little whatever it is you served there. But time got out of the way, and so we took Bradley to the party and didn't go. So the next day... We're, we're at Sam's, 
And Bradley says something, and Sarah says, man, that Bahama Bucks was awesome last night, Bradley. You want me to Bahama Bucks? So then I'm in. I'm in now. I've got him hooked. I'm like, oh, Bradley, I cannot believe how good Bahama Bucks is. We go on and on. He's furious that we went to Bahama Bucks with him. Meanwhile, Karen's in the front seat just laughing. She's like, Bradley, you're in the car with two liars. Don't believe them. But listen to me. In his immaturity, you can get him to believe just about whatever he wanted to believe. Even though I told him, we're not going to Bahama Bucks without you. See, that's what discipleship does. That, that's why we follow closely. That's why we grow up to mature man. Because see, I have the Word of God in my mind. When I hear things, when I see things, you know what I do? I sift them through the Word of God. This is 1 Corinthians 10 stuff. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It requires maturity. It's Hebrews 5 where he says, having, in verse 14, having their senses trained, they are able to discern good from evil. They're able to discern it if they've been trained. But that comes through discipleship. It comes through following. Dallas Willard, a great, a great man of God, said this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is, listen to this, is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians, if they will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven in every corner of human existence. Greatest need of the church, discipleship. Christians growing up being mature that they can take the mission God has given them and do it effectively. It's growing up in Christ. We saw last week, Luke 6.40, it says a disciple is a pupil or a disciple is not above his teacher. But when he has been fully trained, he will be like his teacher. It's 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where Paul says, imitate me as he imitates who? Christ. Paul says, you, that's discipleship. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Take the teachings you've been handed over from faithful men and you hand them over to faithful men. That's discipleship. It's taking what you know and then giving it to somebody else so that they can take it and give it to somebody else. And Jesus says, follow me. Our job is to follow Christ, and in doing so, our job is to make disciples. It's to make disciples. But listen, there will come a cost. And, and that's why I said following is a, is a perpetual, it's a, it's a perseverance, and again, God enables that. But listen, it, it does not come without a cost. And these disciples illustrate the fact that, listen, following comes with a cost. Luke 14, a, a very a passage, he says, it says, no one builds a tower, I'll summarize it, but he says, no one builds a tower without first counting costs. Why? Because when he gets halfway through and he runs out of money, he's going to look foolish if he quits halfway through it. I, I say to you this, count the cost. Bef before you say, I'm going to follow Christ, no, no. Count the cost. Count the cost. Listen, let me give you just some examples real quick in the Gospels and of the cost. You see them on your handout. In order to be a disciple, in order to be, these are qualifications of a disciple. Must be willing to suffer ridicule. Matthew 10, 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple they become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the household Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Ridicule. 
We, li- we live in that world today. Stand, stand firm on the Word of God with regards to the things that the Word of God speaks to in the world we live today. You're going to be called a fool. You're going to be called all kinds of things. Sexist, hater of women, all kinds of stuff. Ridicule. Are we going to stand up to the Word of God no matter what? Or are we going to cater and, and, and adopt a theology that's less than biblical so that the world hates us? Ridicule. A disciple must be willing to forsake earthly ties. Luke 14, in the, in the same passage I just mentioned, verse 26, he says, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What he's saying there is, in comparison to Jesus, I love these other things less. I love Jesus more. And the reality is this, as I love Jesus more, guess what I do to these over here? I, I'm a better husband and father and all these things, but I don't love them more than I love Jesus. If you're going to be my disciple, that's what he says. You're going to have to forsake some earthly ties. If you're going to be his disciple, you're going to have to lay down your life in following Jesus. You're going to have to be willing to to lay down your life. Every every single one of the disciples died a nasty death. Even John died in exile on Patmos. He says, again, the same passage we just read, if you don't, again, even his own life, I love Jesus more than even my own life. That's Matthew 16, 24 stuff. Deny self, take up a cross daily, follow me. He must be willing to, this is a huge one, he must be willing to continue in God's word. Listen to John 8, 31. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, these are people who had supposedly believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you, will make no, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He was saying to that to those who had supposedly believed him, if you continue in my word. A, a disciple must be teachable. John 14, 6, the role of the Holy Spirit is to he'll teach you all things. There, there are attitudes, opinions, convictions that I hold in my flesh that when I'm born again, God's got to teach me that that's not, the, that's not the way He looks at things. I've got to lay down the way I see things and pick up what God says. That's a disciple. Learning to see, think, feel as God does on His behalf. Specifically this month, if, if your opinion towards the orphan and the widow it's not what you think, it's what God thinks about them. He's the fatherless to the fatherless. He'll defend them at all cost. If that's not our opinion towards orphans and, and specifically widows as well, then, then, then we're, not, we're not following. There's a, there's a hiccup in our following. We don't have the freedom as followers to think as we want. We think as Christ wants. And again, this is why maturity, this doesn't happen all at once. It's a lifelong process of being conformed to the image of our Savior. Lastly, a a disciple must be one whose life is characterized by love. In John 13, 35, he says that all would know, and this is the badge of a Christian, that you love one another. That you love. It takes discipline 
It's interesting, in 1 Timothy, I think it's 4, 7. Let me look here real quick. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, In pointing out these things to you, brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Easy, easy, Paul. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the... Listen, on the other hand, in contrary to that, listen to this, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and for that to come. That's why I don't work out. It's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. I only wish I had Tony's arms. I can kid you. I wouldn't wear sleeves either if I had his arms. The, the, the point, you know, all throughout the Bible, listen to 1 Timothy 2. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share. It's discipleship. It ju- just like you grow in sports, you grow in everything, as we're to grow up in Christ. But there's going to be a cost. And the motivation is this. It's Christ. It's knowing Christ. John 17, 3. This is eternal life that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. It's not health. It's not stuff. It's not prosperity. It's not any of these things. It's Christ. Just like Daniel said, Christ is enough. That, that's a whole lot easier, listen to me, that's a whole lot easier to sing than it is to live out. Christ is enough. It's what Paul says in Philippians 3.8, that's why I suffered all these things that were gained to me, I now count them to loss in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, on whose case I have suffered the loss of all things. And he says, but who cares, that I'm, only that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, but also, verse 10, the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said, whatever it takes to know Christ, I want to know Christ. And and the more we know Christ, the more we know this king, the more it frees us from slavery to self, you see on a handout, and to live for things that really matter. But it's the more that we know the king. And that comes through discipleship. And I ask you real quickly before we try to finish this thing, how closely, real quickly, how well do you know the king? How closely are you following the king? Do, do the king's attitudes, does the king's agenda, is that, what, is that what characterizes your life or does your agenda characterize your life? Do you love the things that the king loves or do you love more of the things that your flesh loves? It's not only who we're following, it's not only how we're following, but it's why we follow. And even here, I think we've greatly missed the boat. What did Jesus say? Follow me and I'll, take, I'll, I'll give you the rest of your life to spend for yourself. No, didn't say that. Follow me for a little while and everything will be hunky-dory. He didn't say that. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know what Jesus said? He said, follow me. Because one day I'm going to hand off the keys to the kingdom and the, the, you're going to continue this mission. 
The rest of your life is going to be spent fishing, but not for fish. It's going to be fishing for souls. It's going to be kingdom-mindedness. The purpose of our salvation, the purpose of our following, the purpose of our growing is not simply that we would be saved from our own, own sins. That is a deluded gospel. It is not carrying it out all the way. We, we've, we've created, in many ways, a gospel in Christianity that centers around us, and we're the center of everything, and we're the end. We're, the, we're like a cul-de-sac. God's grace ends at us. When the reality is, what Jesus is saying here and all throughout the Bible is that Christianity, we're to be conduits of grace, not cul-de-sacs of grace. We've received grace that we would bestow grace and give grace to other people. The same gospel that saved us, we're to give to other people, share to other people. And I'm not trying to take away from the personal nature of this relationship. But our repentance is so that the ends of the earth would know about the gospel. One more soldier in God's army telling the world about the gospel. Another soldier at this place of business and that place of business and this neighborhood and this neighborhood and this neighborhood and students in this school and this school and this school and, and, and all over the place that God's soldiers would be everywhere fighting for his gospel, fishing for men. That, that's, the, that's the goal. You see it in your handout. He saved us from our sins to make his glory and grace and his majesty and mercy known throughout the whole world. It's to advance his kingdom agenda. So that we would, there would be lots of little Christs, if you will, growing up and being formed in His image, that when people see us, they'd see our King. And if you think, well, you know what, if you're here and you think, you know what, if you knew what I've done, or dot, 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 listen to me. Whether, whether you're believing that and it's, it's preventing you from believing in Christ ultimately for salvation, listen, Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. No matter how deep your sin is, the depth of, of God's grace goes deeper. Listen, even as a Christian, no matter how long you may be in lazy or, or not living up to what you've been as a Christian, listen to me, the grace of God goes deeper. And if you think you cannot either be forgiven of your sin or that you as a Christian cannot be used of God, listen to me, that is a lie from Satan. The, the reality is this, the, what I read in this Bible is God, God majors in taking the shortcomings and, short, and, and all the failures and all the, the, the weaknesses of man, and that's the one he chooses to use. Why? Because he gets the glory. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, Therefore I will glorify in my weakness. Why? Because God, you're made awesome. If Chris Basham is awesome in his, in his own, I love it when people say, I can't believe you're a pastor. That's the grace of God. I know, I, I mean, I don't even want to, I, I went home Wednesday, I had the joy of going, going back to Tallahassee Wednesday. My dad was ordained as a, as a deacon at his church. And so a buddy of mine is the pastor there, and, and he invited me back to be a part of that service, and it was a, it was a privilege to pray blessings on my father. And at 71, you know, he's getting in the game, so to speak, He's engaging as a soldier in ways that he has not before. It's 71. Not, not typically the pool that you... No offense, that's not typically the pool you're fishing in for deacons. But it's 71. He's not, he's not spending the rest of his life on his own. He's not doing what he wants to do in his retirement. Wednesday night, that same night, we went home 
That night, 9 o'clock, we drove all the way across town and we went to Panera and we took all their leftover bread and pastries and all that. And the next morning at 7 o'clock, we were up sorting it out to be divided out at, 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 at foster homes and all over the city. I, I say that only because I was proud of my dad. I was proud to see him growing and maturing, even at 71, continuing to grow and mature in his faith. And it was a joy to be a part of that. He's growing. And there's not a single person in here. Listen, I don't want any... I challenge every single one of us as believers to draw a line in the sand that, said that, that, that it would not be permissible for anyone at this church to say this, I cannot make an impact for the glory of God. That's a lie. It doesn't matter where you've been. The reality is this. 2 Corinthians 2 says... Comfort others, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 rather. Comfort others with the comfort you've been comforted with. The very sin that you may be completely ashamed of today is the very thing that God may be, want you to walk somebody else through that same sin. The very hang-up that you're ashamed of today might be the very thing God wants to use to allow somebody else to overcome that hang-up. That's the beauty of God. And to say otherwise is deny the power that God has given us. The reality is this. You have been saved. You have been chosen to be fishers of men. And that's a process. I'll make you fishers. The reason why we teach out of the word. The reason why we have grow groups. The reason why at 11 o'clock we'll have them. The reason why I, the reason why I, I meet with groups, guys, all throughout the week. What, what if, I mean, imagine, imagine if God, just the guys in here alone. I'll speak to you. What if every single one of us was discipling somebody and was being discipled by somebody? Think about the impact that have on our life. You say, well, that's crazy, Chris. I would say it's biblical. It's Titus 2. Every single one of us in here, men, are older than somebody else and younger than somebody else. I guess there's one person in here that's not younger than somebody else. Maybe Zerny. We'll give Zerny a pass. What about the women? You looking for somebody to disciple? You being discipled? Go to Titus 2. It's a clear call. We have been saved to be fishers of men. And, and listen, John 15, 8, the goal and the reason behind our salvation is that we would bear fruit. That we would bear fruit. Ephesians 2, 10, you have been saved for good works. Good works don't save you. Grace saves you. You've been saved to do good works on behalf of our King. And, and even the desire, you see it on your handout, even the desire to be a disciple is one of God's gifts. I pray that this would be a church full of trophies of God's grace, that we would follow because we have been chosen by the King of Kings. That, that we would be a church that does not disconnect discipleship from salvation. That we would grow up in all respects. Satan, you see it in your handout, Satan wants nothing more than to deceive us in not following Christ in the first place, but also to rob us of the joy of following Christ as believers. To think that, that we're okay as immature believers. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds and the hearts of the unbelieving. He wants to deceive in any form, in any fashion. And, and listen, 
For many of us, for many followers, Satan's strategy is this. Just get us out of action. Just get us sitting on sidelines. I'll, I'll brag on her. This is off the notes so I could get in trouble. But the other day, Karen's mom, Barbara, went and visited a friend. And, and the, she and another lady went to visit a teacher who had an accident and is not doing well at all. And Barbara called Karen to tell about it. And Barbara said all day she had been burdened that while she was with this girl, she wanted to make sure she had the courage to share with her the gospel. Fishers of men. She's not, she not, she not quitting in her retirement. I, the reality is I'll brag on Barbara and say I've seen tremendous growth in, in the... especially in the loss of her husband. She didn't just curl up and quit. She's she's grown tremendously since that. I believe Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, but the fellowship of His sufferings. And many of you are there too. Weekly, she has ladies over to her house, discipling her, That's what the church is to be about. This this place is to be a discipleship factory that we could go out there and be effective soldiers on behalf of our king. Not just a bunch of infants who have been saved for 20 years, but spiritually we're one month old. That's, That's why there's such jealousy and strife and all the bickering and all the fighting amongst the body. Why? Because spiritually speaking, we're two month old. We're still on milk. We're to grow up. And and following Christ is learning to love Christ more than anything else so that you would be willing to lay down anything so that you would know Him more and others would know Him more. And it only makes sense when you know who the King is. When you see Him high and lifted up, it makes all the sense in the world to leave whatever you have to leave, whatever it costs you, doesn't matter. Why? Because you're serving the King. He's the king.